2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That is always the answer for those who think He's not coming soon enough. Or for those who think He's not coming. He's coming. He's just been patient, allowing you and me the opportunity to find faith in Him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise... We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, I pray that You would ready our spirits for these things to come. Even in the teaching this morning, draw us a little closer in our understanding. Prepare us a little more. And clarify, Lord, for us, would You, Your Word, so that we fully understand what is before us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm a words guy. I love words. I love the the turn of a phrase. I like words that are interesting or words that are used in unique ways. I've always enjoyed words. And I heard a word this this last week used in a way I hadn't heard it used before. And, And granted, I may be a little behind the times. But this word first showed up, at least in more popular culture, in 2008. When soul singer Erica Badu repeated a phrase throughout a song called Master Teacher. In the song, further in, there's a line that I just got to quote to you because I thought it was so funny. She sings, Congregation nod their head and say amen. The deacon fell asleep again. <laughs> and then she sings, And I stay woke. I stay woke. Now, I grew up thinking it was I stay awake, but Erica apparently says I stay woke. In 2012, the phrase became politically charged as Erica Badu and others brought hashtag stay woke to the Twitterverse. By 2014, it was a rally cry for Black Lives Matter. Stay woke, stay woke. By 2016, MTV News, they identified it as a key teenage slang word. And now that it's in one of my teaching titles, you know it's hit the cultural peak. (laughs) But woke, woke isn't recent slang. It actually was first in print in 1962 when African-American novelist William Melvin Kelly wrote an article called, If You're Woke, You Dig It. Now, if you don't understand what dig it means, now we're talking my language. If you're woke, you dig it. A little more information for you. A year ago, an op-ed was written by David Brooks called How Cool Works in America Today. See, because woke would be the modern equivalent to cool with some important differences. He says to be woke is to be radically aware and justifiably paranoid. It is to be cognizant of the rot pervading the power structures. 
The woke manner shares cool's rebel posture, but it's the opposite of cool in certain respects. Cool was politically detached, but being a social activist is required for being woke. Cool was individualistic. Woke is nationalistic and collectivist. Cool was emotionally reserved. Woke is angry and passionate and indignant. Cool was morally ambiguous. Woke seeks to establish a clear marker for what is acceptable. Now, I don't know if you just heard what I heard, but reading through that, that describes a person. Now, you could replace justifiably paranoid with, on his part, he was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. You could replace nationalistic with, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You could replace collectivist with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But woke is also angry and passionate and indignant. Well, what about that? What about angry? Look at the cleansing of the temple. What about passionate? This one came weeping over Jerusalem. And indignant? (laughs) He called this a wicked and perverse generation. What I'm saying to you here is that no one has ever been more woke than Jesus Christ. Jesus is woke. He is the definition of the phrase, of the idea of staying woke. And no other communication has ever been more concerned with a people staying woke than the Word of God. Stay woke. Church, in this last day, stay woke in these end times. we got to be woke. Erica was right. We need to be woke. We need to wake up. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Romans 13.11 Do this, knowing the time, that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Or Ephesians 5.14 For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper! And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Paul could have just said, stay woke. Or Revelation 16.15, where Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame. Stay woke. And that is, I believe, on the heart of Peter as he writes this letter, especially near to his death, passionately calling out people, encouraging them, warning against false teachers, and now toward the end of the book, focusing our minds on the coming of Christ. Stay woke, he might say. He concludes this stirring letter focusing in on what we talked about Wednesday night, four days, four days to help us stay woke. Four days on the calendar of God that we need to be aware of and alert to. Let me run through these to catch you up to speed here. The last days. The last days are the days that we are in. That's right now. The time between the comings of Jesus. It is also called the church age. Or the age of grace. We could call it the age of opportunity for salvation. Sadly, the last days are also the age of the mockers. 
Because as Peter says back in verse 3, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Down in verse 8 of chapter 3, Peter says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. These are the last days. Stay woke. But there are three other days that Peter specifically talks about. After the last days, there is then the day of the Lord. As he writes about in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Then, then there's the day of God. Verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And finally, Peter arrives at the day of eternity, verse 18, where Peter writes, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Four days. Stay woke. Four days. Now, I have to mention this. There's another day that Peter does not mention here. Another very specific day. And and by the way, each of these days that I've mentioned, the last days, the day of the Lord, the day of God, the day of eternity, and this other day are specific time frames in the Scriptures. And if you study them out, you'll find that they speak of absolutely clear and specific times. They're not just different ways of saying, they're not synonyms for days that have to do with godly things. They are specific days on the calendar of God. And the one that Peter doesn't mention, and I want you to turn back to the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippians. Turn back there, because the day he doesn't mention is the day of Christ. The day of Christ. This day comes between the last days and the day of the Lord. It kind of slides in there. It's a surprise day. It's a wonderful day. Peter, Paul describes this in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Where he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then further down in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real discernment and in, in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, he says now a second time. And then if you turn over to chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 14, Philippians 2.14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. The day of Christ. 
The day of Christ is a specific day, a very, very short day, if you will, using the word day just as a, as a time period. The day of Christ speaks of Jesus' finished work in you and in me. It's that day, it's that moment really when all who have been perfected and made blameless in Christ will be caught up. It's the rapture of the church. The day of Christ. The catching up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 describes it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 and 52 again explains it. We see it hinted at throughout the scriptures. We've talked about it many times here, the rapture of the church. Well, the day of Christ is the rapture of the church. We're in the last days. And then will happen at some point, unknown to us, but any time now will happen, the day of Christ. Where followers of Jesus will be caught up. And then begins, immediately, quickly after that, begins the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. That is then followed by the day of God and then the day of eternity. That's your chronology. Well, Rick, can you be so chronologically sure? I absolutely can. I can tell you this is the way that the Bible... If you're just taking the Scriptures literally, if you're not trying to flip it around or make a circus out of it, if you're taking the Bible as written, you see these days chronologically, the last days that we're in, and then the instant of the day of Christ, and then the day of the Lord, which, by the way, is a very long day, I'll explain in a moment, followed by the day of God, and ultimately the day of eternity, about which... Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.18, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The full day. We're all looking for a full day. You know, we all want a full day. Where at the end of the day, the day just continues. Where there's time to do everything that we never have time to do. And time to rest in all of that wonderful, that marvelous full day, that bright and glorious sunny day. I came walking in this morning and, and, and saw John, and as we're walking into the church, he said, oh, it's just beautiful weather, isn't this? And I'm like, yeah, don't tell California. <laughs> Can you imagine the eternal day? And that's where we're headed, and, and that's what's coming. But, but the day that grabs our attention in Peter's last words here, the day he says to look to, To hasten, if you will, is the day of God. The day of God. Looking for and hastening, verse 12, the coming of the day of God. And then he says, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Why would I look forward to that? Oh, really? Destruction by burning? Hey, the earth is going to be destroyed. Woohoo! And we Christians can't wait. Heaven's just going to burn. Yeah! It's going to be great. Passing away with a roar, intense heat. The earth and all its works burned up. I mean, it's an environmentalist nightmare. That verse is horrifying. A climate change crusader's calamity, if you will. Al Gore did movies about that. (laughs) Why would I look forward to this? Listen, note this. The day of God is not a day of destruction. What? Think this through with me. Look back at verse 10. But the day of the Lord 
will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's the day of the Lord. Well, yeah, Rick, the Lord is God. Day of the Lord, day of the God uh, of God. What, what does it matter? It matters. It matters. If you've got your Bibles there, keep your finger in Second Peter chapter three and turn all the way back to Isaiah thirteen. Isaiah is about roughly in the middle of your Bibles. If you go to the middle, you'll be close. Isaiah thirteen. The Bible has much to say about the day of the Lord. We looked at several verses on Wednesday night considering these things. And by the way, I would also encourage you, if you want to really study out what we're talking about this morning and all these different days and how it fits together, there was a teaching we did when we studied Joel, Joel chapter 2, called Days of the Lord. And you can go back and listen to that and and, and work your way through it a little more precisely. But Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6 Isaiah writes, 700, 750 years or so before Christ, he says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And He will exterminate its sinners from it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of His burning anger. What day is that? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Joel writes about it. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. He says the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There's never been anything like it. Nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. Well that's interesting. That implies that the day of the Lord goes into years of many generations. That there's this horrible destruction and then many generations. And and Jesus confirms it. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 21, there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And then Amos says this, and I think it's interesting the way he words it. Alas, Amos 5, 18. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord... For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? I mean, you're looking forward to the day of the Lord. What's wrong with you? He might say. It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. (laughs) Or goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. This is not a good day. Guy's having a rough time. 
What Amos is saying is, what are you longing for the day of the Lord for? Which is why Peter doesn't say to look forward to and hasten the day of the Lord. He says looking forward to and hastening the day of God. But he also describes the day of the Lord. And this is where some Christians get confused. Now, Christians, listen. Especially those who believe in the literal, biblical day of the Lord, as these Hebrew Scriptures have told us, and there are many, many more that talk about the destructive moment of the day of the Lord. What's coming? What's going to happen? But because Christians like myself believe in and accept these words as true, a day of devastation for the world, a global tribulation, the wrath of God, all of these things taking place, oftentimes Christians are called warmongers. Or end times fanatics. Or as Israeli journalist Gershom Gorenberg wrote in his turn of the century book, End of Days, quote, people who believe they must shatter the world to make it whole. What's wrong with you Christians? You're looking forward to this tribulation. You can't wait for the world to go into this pain and say, oh yeah, you all get pulled out of here while we go into that. Why do you look forward to this? Listen, number one, understand that we Christians don't shatter anything. We don't have the power to do any of that. In fact, our responsibility, our call, our reality in this world is we are to love. We are to restore. We are to reconcile. We're to invite people to come to the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. Not warmongering. Not looking forward to destruction. And secondly, again, we are not encouraged to look for this particular hour of the day of the Lord, this time of destruction. In fact, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, and Jesus, get this, are only talking about how the day of the Lord gets underway. What do you mean? I mean they're not talking about the entire day of the Lord. Notice that in all the verses we read, and every verse that refers to and talks about the day of the Lord, after wrath and tumult and destruction, the heavens and the earth are still there. They haven't passed away. Joel even says this, about the day of the Lord, same day as all this destruction is described, in Joel 3.18 says, in that day, in the day of the Lord, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. That sounds beautiful. Now that's the day I would look forward to. And that is the day of the Lord. But I'm confused. You said that the day of the Lord is is global devastation and destruction. It is. It is. There's chronology here to understand. What we know so far is this. That the day begins. The day of the Lord begins with global devastation. Begins with great tribulation. That's how the day of the Lord starts. God's wrath poured out, yes, on an... A Christ-rejecting, sinful, rebellious world. But then, after this time of tribulation in the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord downshifts into a beautiful, remade, renovated, restored, perfect world. Eden-like in its quality. Under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. For then a thousand years. Why would God do this? Why would He... 
do this in this way. Why this thousand year reign? If you've heard about this in the millennial kingdom, and, and we've talked about many times the kingdom of God is coming, and there will be a thousand years of peace and prosperity here on earth, and, and those who follow Jesus and who trust Him will return with Him and rule and reign during that time, a time of perfect peace. But the day of the Lord begins with this devastation and then extends for a thousand years in this beautiful Eden-like situation. Why would God do that? Why that thousand-year kingdom? Because God, I'll give you two reasons and there are many more. Number one, because He will keep His every last promise to Israel. And He promised Israel a kingdom. And He promised them a kingdom that would rule the world. And He promised them that His King would sit on the throne in Jerusalem to begin what would be an eternal reign. But the Millennial Kingdom fulfills that promise in this world. He also does it to reverse the curse. To show that in Jesus Christ... The curse is lifted and we get to see what planet earth was like before the curse. What it was intended to be. What God's intentions were for mankind all the way back in the garden. He will restore. Stay woke. Stay woke because this is all part of the day of the Lord. This is one long, wonderful day. We're talking about two things here. We're talking about global judgment that happens at the beginning of the day of the Lord, and then this renovation and wonderful paradise for a thousand years, and then at the end of that, at the end of that, but still the day of the Lord, comes the destruction of both heaven and earth. See, that will happen. A devastation that wipes things out completely as God starts over. See, even Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus' words. So that day is coming. Heaven and earth will pass away, He says, but My words will not pass away. And that's where Peter's going. Not to the beginning of the day of the Lord with that global tribulation. Not to the large part of the day of the Lord, of that millennial kingdom, but to the very end of the day of the Lord, He talks about the destruction of heaven and earth completely. Look at verse 7 of Second Peter chapter 3. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's not the tribulation. Because the tribulation, that beginning of the day of the Lord, ends and the world is restored. The world is still here. The heavens and the earth are still here. But this aspect of the day of the Lord destroys it all. It's gone. It is done for its history. And just as the element of water, H2O, It became the force of destruction in Noah's day, so the elements that are involved in fire will be the destructive force at the end of the day of the Lord. Carbon dioxide, water vapor, oxygen, and nitrogen, these are the primary elements in fire, and these will destroy the heavens and the earth in the Lord's day. And I want to pause here at this for a moment because the elemental truth is astounding. 
What Peter writes here, Peter should not have known. Could not have known. Or understood. If you've been watching in the news for three months now, the residents of the big island of Hawaii have been experiencing a little heat. As Kilauea has been spewing volcanic matter, fire, ash, molten lava now, and it's still it's ongoing as we continue on in our lives. For three months this has been an ongoing issue. Houses just swallowed up by molten lava, and there are now some two dozen fissures that have opened up. And it's not quieting down. We see these things, and that's a bit disturbing. For those of us here, you know, a five and a half hour flight away, we go, well, at least it's way over there. But this is coming up out of the earth. But you know what? Whether it's Kilauea, or as we discussed on Wednesday night, the super volcano that sits underneath Yellowstone National Park, the Yellowstone caldera, that is huge. If this thing goes off, it's devastating. But even for these couple of volcanoes, they're firecrackers by comparison to what Peter's describing. M80s at best. They crackle, they burn, they do not do what Peter is describing. You know that the Earth's core comes in at a measurement of 12,400 Fahrenheit. 12,400 degrees. And all we've got between us and that 12,400 degrees of heat is just a thin 10-mile crust. And we're done. But that's not even the half of it. See, in verses 7 and 10, Peter describes something here, exactly how the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, and he describes from whence the intense heat will come. He uses three words you might want to pay attention to or circle in your Bibles. Word number one is in verse 7, and it's the word reserved. Reserved. It's fesserizo. Reserved fesserizo literally means stored up. There's something stored up here. There's a heat, an intense heat, a fire that is stored up. Also in verse 7, he uses a synonymous word, the word kept. That word is tereo, which means to be held in store. Something is stored up in the earth, in the elements. Something is being held in store. And again, I say in the elements. And that's the other word in verse 10. He says the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed. And that word elements is fascinating the way Peter uses it. It's stoikion in the Greek. Stoikion means rudimentary or principle. It's, it's the word that the Greeks used to describe their alphabet. They would call it the stoikion. And not just the letters written of the alphabet, but the sounds of the letters. The stoikion were the sounds that each particular letter made, and when you put those sounds together, you get words. In the same way that the elements when put together, you get some kinds of results. Welcome to Chemistry 101 this morning. Please open your textbooks to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because Peter now becomes, the great fisherman now becomes a great scientist. And he describes something he could not have understood or known himself. He couldn't have even figured it out. He didn't have the technology to look into these things. Because just as the alphabet contains those dynamic building blocks of language, so the elements are the dynamic building blocks of the physical world. Every element contains atomic and subatomic particles. In fact, it's how they're numbered on the periodic table. 
You remember the periodic table? It was that strange little table you had to look at in high school and none of us understood it. There were two things I remember from chemistry. There was a periodic table and there were moles. And moles weren't what were on the forehead of my chemistry professor. A mole was a number and then there's the periodic table and beyond that I don't remember any of it. But there on the periodic table, each one of these elements are numbered and their numbers are interesting because the number is, the, is based on the number of subatomic protons that are packed into that element. The subatomic protons, they're in the nucleus of the atom of the element and that's what determines the type of element and how it's listed on the periodic table. For example, hydrogen has a proton. Helium has two. Lithium has three. Beryllium has four. And it goes all the way to one that has 98 protons packed in together. Californium. No wonder it's going to fall into the sea. (laughs) And then there are 99 through 118. So there's a, a total of 118 on the periodic table. But the 99 through 118... We're only really theorizing because we've seen the results, but we haven't actually seen the protons in in particle study and in particle theory. But here's the problem, and here's the reason I mention all of this. It's not to impress you with my chemistry prowess, because that's about it right there. No, it's to tell you that all of these elements have within them these atoms, which have within them these tightly packed Protons, and the problem is that all the protons are positively charged. And it's impossible. Because according to Colum's law of physical science, by all scientific models, positive cannot be with positive. It, it, like charges repel. So if you take a bunch of positively charged protons and pack them together, they repel. They do not stay together. There is no reason for them to stay together other than what scientists call atomic glue. Strong nuclear force, they'll say. There's a strong nuclear force. Well, what is it? We don't know. All we know is there are positive protons packed in together and they should be exploding every single element, but they're not for one reason or another. We just don't know. I can tell you why. Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Amen. Jesus is holding it together. Which I love about Jesus, because He's the only one who can hold it together. You can't. I can't. Ever feel like you're just losing control of everything? I go right to Colossians 1.17 and say, Thank God Jesus holds it all together. Because I'm losing it. He keeps it. He holds it. Those positive protons, explosive. I mean, everything should just be exploding right and left. Should never have held. But Jesus holds it together. Until when? Until He lets go. And then you're going to have the Big Bang. The biblical Big Bang. The day day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And who would have thought that Peter would know particle physics? He couldn't have known this. Except by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Peter says this is what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. It's all going to break apart. It will explode. It will be destroyed. Everything will disappear. On the day of the Lord. Well, can we narrow that down any further? 
Is there any way we can know like when this happens? Because you describe the day of the Lord, and, and apparently what you're saying, Pastor, if I'm getting you right, and I think you are, is that the day of the Lord begins with this global tribulation, but then it's remade for this beautiful kingdom for a thousand years, but then some something happens at the end of that? How do you know it happens at the end of that? Keep your finger here and turn right to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And you're going to want to turn there and and then just kind of lay your finger there. And we're going to hop back and forth a couple of times here between Revelation and 2 Peter so that we can nail this down a little bit further, at least as much as we can understand. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is after the thousand years, which is discussed in the first six verses of Revelation 20 six times. John says it's going to be a thousand years. And after these things, at the end of these things, now in verse 11, John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who sat upon it, watch this, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. That's it. That is, I believe, when it happens. When what Peter is describing, that the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, that the heavens and earth, as Jesus said, will pass away. That's it right there. Revelation 20, verse 11. The word fled away is fuego, which means vanish. Judgment day. Judgment day. Which rounds out the very tail end of the day of the Lord where the Lord will judge all those who never came to faith. It's not Judgment Day for everyone. Judgment Day for those who believe in Jesus happened when? Believers, when did it happen? At the cross. cross. That was Judgment Day. That's marvelous. I love the idea that my Judgment Day happened 2,000 years ago. I'm not looking forward to a day of wrath and judgment. I'm looking forward to the day of God which I repeat, is not the day of the Lord. I'm confused. Okay, keep your finger there in Revelation. Go back to 2 Peter 3. And let's let's define this a little more clearly. The day of the Lord, we've just very clearly defined, and the day of the Lord ends with this mass destruction where heaven and earth fled away. Gone. Vanished. In verse 12, note this. It's an important phrase. He says we are to be looking for and hastening the day, the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Because of which. Note that. Because of which. The utter destruction of the heavens and the earth come at the end of the day of the Lord. Notice when that happens, in which, he says in verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed. No, and now we're to be looking for and hastening the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Do you see the difference? We have a house right over here on on the 10 acres. A little house, manufactured home. It's currently under construction. And our plan is that it will be a really cool student ministry house. That's the direction we're going with it. And if you've, if you've seen it, you can go check it out. It's been gutted on the inside. It's being completely reworked. We've had some brothers, Jim and, and Sheldon and Robert and Isaiah, who have been over there just tearing it up. 
And they've had to. Because if you were to walk through that house a couple of years ago, if you were to see what the condition was and what we found in the house and in the baseboards and in the walls and I don't know why anyone would choose to live there. It had to be completely gutted and cleaned out nearly all the way down to its framework and foundation. And it's, it's going to be a great place for ministry, listen, because of which the current house had to be taken apart. We had to take it apart so that we could do the new thing that we're going to do. And that's what's going on. In the case of the universe, however, it's not just taking it down to the foundation. It's got to be done away with. Why? Because the day of the Lord. Because the day of God is coming. The day of the Lord has to happen. The destruction, the earth fleeing away, the earth and the heavens vanishing as, as we know them. That's got to happen. It's got to happen to clear the way for the day of God, which is what we're looking forward to. Is that making sense to you? Psalm 102.25 says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. Isaiah 51, verse 6. God says, lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Heaven and earth have got to go away. They've got to vanish. Now there's some wonderful things that God is still going to do here before that takes place. There will be a time of judgment. And then there will be a time of of marvelous kingdom. But at the end of that time, well, interestingly, at the end of that time, Satan runs roughshod once again. You can read about it in Revelation 20. And at that point, the heavens and the earth must be done with. They've got to be cleared out and cleaned out Verse 13 of 2 Peter, verse 3, But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness righteousness dwells. The day of God. That's the day of God. The day of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And again, heaven and earth as they are must be done away with so that God's righteousness can then literally dwell within All the pollution, all the affluence of sin and evil and rebellion and wickedness must be done away with in the heavens and in the earth. All these things. Why? Because as John writes in 1 John 1.5, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He cannot dwell where there is darkness. That is in the divine state. Well, he, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Exactly. He emptied himself and came and dwelt among us in human flesh. Well, yeah, but he, he dwelt among the people of Israel. No, no, his glory did. His glory did. But for God to reside and for His people to be literally living, not just around Him, not just near Him, but completely in His presence, day in, day out, that's going to require a new heaven and a new earth. 
and a new Jerusalem which will be ushered in. As heaven and earth flee away, God's going to do a completely new thing. Isaiah 65.17 For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And get this, the word new that He uses there, I create new heaven and new earth. The word for new that, that Peter uses here. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth. Peter's just repeating Isaiah. The word new is not the common word that we would use for new. The common word is neos. Where we get our word neo, neophyte, you know, new. Neos is the word that should be used there, but it's not the word that's used there. It's a different word. The word that Peter uses for new heavens and new earth is the same word Jesus uses in another place. Let me read this to you. Matthew 9.16 Jesus said, No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new, and that word is neos. You don't put new wine, neos, into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into, get this, Fresh wineskins. And both are preserved. The word fresh there is kainos. Kainos. It means of a new kind. It means unique. It means unused. It means brand new. Never before used. Unprecedented. And that's the word Peter uses. There's going to be an unprecedented heaven. And an unprecedented earth. An absolutely brand new, a fresh Jerusalem. That's the word Peter uses for new heavens and new earth. And that is the word back in Revelation now 21. That's the word that John uses. Kainos. Listen, Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea which we'll explain when we get to our study of Revelation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. All three times the word new there is used, it's kainos. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be His people and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things kainos. New. Unprecedented. Never before seen. Of a new kind. Unique. That's what we're looking for. That is what we hasten. According to Peter's words, we are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because the day of God is the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. When we studied Revelation for the first time, first time I taught through this years ago, it's actually before the bridge. And I remember studying through the book. I'm so excited to do this this fall. I hope God gives us the time because I'm really excited. You're saying, Rick... That makes no sense. You want, so you want us to hang around here just so you can teach through Revelation? Exactly. But, you know, if he takes us out beforehand, that's even better. I can't wait to teach it. I love this book. 
And I'll tell you one of the reasons why is it just gets better and better and better and better as you study through it until your mind is blown and you keep asking, how can this get any better? I remember studying and teaching through chapter 20. And it was, it was good. It was amazing. It was impressive. And as we went through chapter 20, you, you, this millennial kingdom and all this that's going on. Wow. Marvelous. And I thought, well, it's a good place to stop right here. And then we got to Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And he starts to go on with the description. And I'm thinking, wow! Remark- See, I, was, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a church where basically what we knew about the second coming of Jesus is He's going to come and then we're going to go to heaven. That was it. I knew more about chemistry than I knew about the coming of the Lord. We're to go to heaven. What does that mean? I don't know. Halos, clouds, harps, boring. I couldn't think of anything less than I wanted to do. And then you start to read about this new heaven and new earth, and it is astounding. It's remarkable. And we've got two chapters of, of human words trying to describe the day of God, which is eternal. Which is remarkable. Stay woke. Stay woke. Where are you in all this? As we think about these things, we talk about the last days and the end times and the, and the coming of Jesus and the millennial kingdom and the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. Where are you in this? This is a part of the teaching where you ask yourself, What do I think? Do I think that guy up there is a nut? Do I agree? And if I agree, what does that mean right now in my life? I read this off of prophecynewswatch.com. Jan Markle wrote an article uh, just on Friday. Listen to this. this. This was sad to me. She wrote, The malady goes by many names. End time weariness, rapture fatigue, Israel burnout. Scoffers and skeptics are gaining too much territory, too many followers. The fact that the king is coming is boring and just old news. There's a collective in the church she's talking about, and I see it, there is a collective so what sigh. Those of you who were kind of part of the spiritual movement in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, and a little bit into the 80s, so that the Calvary Chapel movement and, and Chuck Smith and all the end times teaching and revelation and the rapture of the church, and then of course following on that, the Left Behind series. Right, Tim LaHaye's books. And, and that was the buzz for a while in the 90s. Christians talking about this and non-Christians reading these books and going... Really? That's interesting. That's intriguing. And, and, and then all of a sudden it started to be mocked in the news, in the media, by non-believers. And guess where it's at in the church today? It's now, she says, a wake-me-when-it's-over sentiment and our churches have dropped the message. No wonder the day is going to come like a thief in the night. You know, I had a sense back in the 90s that, wow, everybody's going to know about this. No one's going to be surprised. You know, Tim LaHaye 
blew the lid off the whole thing. I I even thought, Tim, what are you doing? You're telling everybody. And now they're all going to know. So now the day of the Lord can't come because it has to come as a thief. (laughs) It has to come at a time when no one thinks it will. Well, now we all think it will. Guess what? We don't all think it will anymore. And the mockers, with their steady mocking, have had an impact on this culture to where people are like, i got things to do. Well, Pastor Rick's going to be teaching in Revelation. Well, that's great, but I'm a little busy right now. Got things going on. Oh, there's going to be a special night where we talk about the day of the Lord. Okay, I've heard that message. I've been to that teaching. And Peter says here at the end of the letter in verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What sort of people ought you to be? That's his question for you and for me right now, right here today. You know what he does? He asks the question in verse 11, and he answers it in verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That's the kind of people you ought to be. That's what we're called to. Those who look for and hasten the day. Now stay with me just a moment longer. What does that mean, really? The look for I get. I look forward to the day. I can get excited about it like I can look forward to, I don't know, going to Disneyland. Well, not so much anymore. It's, it's too, too many people. But I can look forward to my vacation. I'm not going to Disneyland. We're just doing other things. But I, I look forward to that. Okay, so I can look forward to the day. I can anticipate the day is coming. But that's not all Peter says. He says, hastening the day of God. Hastening the day of God. Now, some think... This just means that we need to be diligent to be ready for the day of God. That's what I need to do. That's not the natural sense of the verb here. In the word hastening, it has to do with something you can do to hurry up the day of God. Did you know that? Did you know that we can have an impact on the day of God? Now, I'm not questioning God's sovereignty here. I'm talking about our responsibility. That we are to be a people who not only look for and anticipate the day of God, but we are to hasten the day of God. We actually, Peter says this, by the Holy Spirit, can be involved in the hastening of the day, in advancing the arrival of the day of God. How? How do we do that? Through holy conduct and godliness. Through holy conduct and godliness, he says, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the day of God? What does that mean? It means pursue righteousness. It means the more we as followers of Jesus Christ, the more the church pursues righteousness and holiness and godliness, moral conduct, Our pursuit of God's righteousness can speed up the coming of Christ and His kingdom leading us into the day of God. That is our responsibility. Jesus says as much. You know, I wasn't going to go there, but turn over to Matthew 24 real quickly. Matthew 24. In verse 42, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, be on the alert or stay woke. 
For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, if the head of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Who then, note this, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. The so doing is righteousness. The so doing is holiness and moral conduct. The so doing is saying no to so many things that we as Christians say yes to today. That we embrace in our culture as it's okay. It's not so bad just a little sin in it. Just slightly immoral. Christians flocking in droves to the latest from Hollywood. Is that speeding the coming of the day of the Lord? The day of God? Is that moral behavior and righteousness? Watch this. In verse 47 he says, Truly I say to you, He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time. The mocker who says, Where is his coming? If he says that, he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. Verse 49 should send a chill up our spines as Christians. Are we beating each other? I'm not talking physically, but are we beating each other up in how we treat each other in the church? And along with that, are we eating and drinking with drunkards? Because it's cool. It's alright. He's a long way off. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm trying to make a point as Jesus was making that we, in hastening the day of God, have a holy and righteous responsibility. And that is to live like people of God. To embrace all that is good and pure and righteous and true and holy in God's Word. To pour over His Word. To desire to live lives that are pleasing to Him. That will hasten the day of God. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. Verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I stay woke. I stay woke. For the day of eternity is coming. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word through Your servant Peter. Thank You, Lord, that You by Your Spirit inspired him to write and to stir us up. And I pray, Father, here we are 2,000 years later and You're still stirring us up. Help us to stay woke. To be a people on the alert. Not just looking for, not only looking for the day, but hastening the day by our very behavior in the Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.